All right, guys, welcome to Property Profits Podcast. Um, today, I've got a very interesting uh, guest. Um, a lot of people are, you know, they they either go to work or go to school. And my guest today was able to, you know, get into their first property while still in college. And um, today I got Dan on the show. I'm going to bow to the last name and I'm going to let him uh bring it out for you dan how are you and give people that last name because if you could see it on my screen guys you'd understand why i'm bowing down to that tell them yeah thanks bryce it's habercost so very german uh but yeah thanks for having me on the show yeah so to tell people a little bit about and also my pleasure for having you here uh tell people about how you got into real estate while still being in college because college or university um it definitely does take a lot of time and focus Mm -hmm. And to have that extra bandwidth, how did you find the time? Sure. So it really goes back to when I was a teenager and started working pretty early. Uh, so by 16, I was managing a farm and a portfolio of rental properties for my boss at the time while going to high school. Uh, he'd go to Aruba for most of the year and <laughs> I'd stay and manage things for him, which in hindsight, I think he was getting the better deal there. Granted, I did learn. So I did that through high school. Started some side businesses, bought and sold stuff on eBay. I always did something on the side. I've never been able to sit still. And then college came around and I I had to work. I had to pay for it, right? I, I wasn't mm-hmm. going to take out a ton of debt. Wasn't getting any money from my parents. Uh, so I, I got some scholarships, but I worked through college. And the first couple of years, I just did a community college. So I didn't have to work full time. But those last two years to finish my degree, I worked full time while going to school. And that was not fun. Not at all. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was managing a, a landscaping company, overseeing a bunch of guys, you know, selling the work, managing the guys for the work, managing the gross margins and, and going to school full time. And I was frustrated. I was watching, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old. I'm watching my friends have a lot of fun in college. I wasn't having a lot of fun in college, so I wasn't happy about that. But I said, OK, I know how to manage people. I've been running other people's businesses since I was a teenager. How do I take this, start my own, do some sort of investing or something so that, you know, especially once I'm graduated and I have all this free time, I can go and build something and put myself ahead as an adult. And so started reading different books and like just about everyone else, it was when I came across Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that it was like the light bulb moment. And so at that time, I forget exactly when I read the book, but I was 20 ish, maybe I'd turned 21 already. And I went and bought a duplex as a house hack in Parma, mm-hmm. Ohio, because I was also listening to bigger pockets and they were big on house hacking. Uh, yeah. while I was 21, still in college. Uh, and so that was my first investment property. Interesting. So um, how many years ago was that? Because I mean, if you're not on the video, if you're not watching on YouTube, uh, you know, you got, uh, I'm not going to call you baby face, but you certainly don't look <laughs> 40 or 50. So how, how many years ago was that when you got started and, and where has that brought you to today as far as like house hacking, what was your next mm-hmm. step and, and how long ago was that, that you got started? So that was 2018, very beginning of 2018. I'm 27 now. Yeah. Uh, and from there, uh, I didn't want to stay in Ohio. And so shortly thereafter, I moved to Colorado, kept the duplex, picked up another house hack, just bought a house was renting out all the rooms while living in it, which was not fun. And I did that for years. So made it out to Colorado. I've got two properties under my belt. And pretty quickly, it became clear to me that I could not not work for someone because I still had a traditional job. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I started going to the local real estate group, right? You know, you hear about all the low and no money down stuff. And there's some validity to that. And you can get a house hack or two. But if you really want to 
build a substantial portfolio of real estate, you got to figure out how to make money. Mm -hmm. And at that real estate group, which I actually host now, I met a guy who'd been in land and development for 40 plus years. And I would drive an hour south because I was in Colorado Springs. I would drive down to Pueblo West, Colorado every weekend and go help him in his business. And he was building houses down there. Mm -hmm. And he needed all kinds of miscellaneous help. But the main thing that I figured out how to do pretty quickly was going direct to seller to get him lots to build on. And then I also yeah. learned about the building process and started being involved there. And so ultimately that's where front range land was born. So front range land is my active business. I ended up quitting my last job in 2019. And if you think of just a giant direct to seller marketing funnel, we go direct to seller for land, cold calls and, and mail, more mail than anything, but we mm -hmm. do plenty of cold calling as well. We buy land at 30 to 60 cents on the dollar, depending on what we're going to do with it and what markets it's in. A mm -hmm. lot of it, we just buy and sell. Some of it, I sell on terms with an interest rate. And then a few lots at a time, we'll put a, a spec home or spec duplex on and then just sell that. And working on getting some subdivides going right now as well, just to add a, a more of a value add strategy. And so that's front range land. That is my active business, which is my way of scaling my income. And then I've been continually picking up rental properties on the side since then as well. Now, when you say land, are you talking about like acreages? Or are you talking about um, single and double lots? Like, uh, or is it a mix? It's become a mix, but more than anything, it's been simple infill lots. Quarter acre, yeah. half acre, maybe an acre where all of the horizontal work is already done, right? So somebody already did the subdividing, the roads are there, the utilities are there. Many of the houses already, or many of the lots already have houses on them, and there's some infill left. But some of those bigger projects I mentioned are our acreage work. We're working on the subdividing. Okay, nice, nice. So, what do you like most about the bu the business of land? It's underappreciated, and that's becoming lesser so because lots of people are talking about it. But it's still far less competitive than something like going after single family houses or going after apartments. There's not a lot of institutional money in the space. There's mm -hmm. institutional money doing the big subdivisions where they take 200 acres and turn it into a community, but there's yeah. not a lot of institutional money doing the smaller stuff. You know, <clears throat> I have a lot, I think we're going to get in Arizona where I'm just going to take it and divide it from one to four lots there. I have no institutional competition doing that sort of mm -hmm. thing, but you can still make a lot of money. So that's probably my favorite part of land is that it's inefficient and far less competitive. So tell me, everyone talks about their upside, but what's what's the thing you hate? What What isn't so great about doing land? Probably the biggest thing is, let me use a different example to show the contrast. One of my buddies built a similar business, but it's all direct to seller for apartments and, and strip centers. And yeah. he'll rehab them and flip them, sometimes just assign them. But his, or, and his active business then creates opportunities for buy and hold as well. So he'll find prime ones and he can just keep those. And that solves his rental real estate and, and tax mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. With land, unless I build and keep new construction on the land, it's it's not solving the buy and hold problem for me. I'm not creating leads for that. So that's probably my biggest complaint with it. And then of course, I can't depreciate land. Yeah. And the, the, the houses are usually wiped out, right? So you can't really like rent these things out. They're their teardowns if there's something kicking around there. So, oh yeah, well, no, I've never, I've never bought a teardown. They're vacant lots. Yeah. So you never buy it with the house already on it at, to, at this point. No, I haven't. I'm sure that awesome. might present itself, but yeah, not, not well, as, it's, it's, as an, it's a whole other can of worms. Like I have an investor mm -hmm. that 
in Winnipeg or, you know, where they, where they do their business asbestos reports and stuff like knocking them mm -hmm. down and vacant land is definitely, um, a high, higher value than that, you know, a lot quicker to get in and out. So yep. have there been any like major challenges in growing that business over, over your journey so far? Oh, definitely. There's always just the initial fear branching out from your primary market, right? So I'm based in Colorado. There's several markets I know there really well. However, at the beginning of last year, so January 2022, mm -hmm. I had been doing most of my business in Pueblo West, just the buying and selling of land, the uh, new construction. And I had a ton of deals in process. And I was coming home from Florida, had been on a nice trip. And as soon as I land and I get service, my phone is blowing up. Clearly something is wrong. All my real estate buddies are calling me. And I find out that with no warning, nothing, the Metro District, which is what oversees that uh, area, shut off all new water taps, essentially making your land worthless. No warning, nothing, because they're almost out of water. If you go out West, you know, I'm in California right now. They mm -hmm. have a problem with it out here. Water is a big issue. And at the time, they gave little to no information, little to no detail. We all expected water taps to get a little bit more expensive. We did not expect a shutdown. So suddenly, nobody's so like no trading. more water service, no more additional uh, yes. Uh, water. Yes. So with no warning at all, they did that. <laughs> so land stops trading. All the contracts I had, you know, done, uh, pull out. All the lots that I was planning to build on, suddenly I can't build on. Thankfully, there was one I had gotten the water tap and paid for it a week before my trip. So that one had gotten through. Mm. But uh, that was awful. And that taught me really quick the importance of diversification. And so since then, I've expanded into North Carolina, Florida, and a little bit of New Mexico and Arizona. And I wish I didn't have to, I wish I wasn't forced to expand in such a abrupt way. Now, thankfully, you know, almost two years later, I can tell you after I think 45 or 60 days, they did open it back up, albeit at a higher price. It slowed things down. It brought the land market down a bit, but it wasn't as much the end of the world as I thought. Uh, however, that was a big kick in the teeth because for several weeks, we did not know, is our land worthless now or yeah. all the, it's, you know, so that was, that was uh, difficult. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because then now you're just you know, if they're not, if they're not giving any new water service, I guess you could get creative and bring wells in or not even wells, but like ship water and hold it as it'd be a, it'd just be a waste of time. So what do you think your, your, your unfair advantage in the business is like, what's, what's one thing that comes easy to you that other people might find difficult? Hmm. Probably this side of things, speaking, sales, everything involved in communication is a strong point for me. And so I, I think that um, I'm able to train and identify solid salespeople very well. I'm mm -hmm. not doing it myself anymore, but that's that's really the lifeblood is the, of the business is the people taking the calls and negotiating with the sellers, especially down in Florida where it is ultra competitive. But land mm -hmm. just, I mean, it's crazy. It is still in some of these markets going up and up and up. I had two lots listed on the market a couple of weeks ago. Both went under contract within 48 hours, substantially over ask. Like to give you an idea of what a lot of the markets are like down there. And so being able to identify, hire and train really exceptional salespeople. Yeah, that's it. That's a great answer. I haven't heard that one yet, but it makes a lot of sense because um, you're going direct to seller mm -hmm. and you're dealing with them. Um, and your your advantage would be that those 
you know, like they're going to get X number of offers from any number of other players, but how good are they at actually explaining the idea and getting commitment? Right. And if you can yeah. be that at that edge, that's, that's great, man. So where do you see the business going, you know, over the next know, 12, 18 months, where do you see it going? Working on layering in bigger deals that are a little more value add. So perfect example I just mentioned how crazy the market is in a lot of parts of Florida and North Carolina. If you look in the last 90 days in a lot of areas, you'll see twice as many or 150% as many lots sold as came on the market. And right. so being able to create inventory, the right type of inventory in the right places is key. So really pushing towards some of these subdivides is, I'm not going to stop the little stuff, but layering on these subdivides is a big part of what I'm working on right now as a way of expanding front range land and then just continuing to buy rental properties as always on the passive side. Okay. And so, um, as far as I've understood and I'm, I'm not, you know, an expert by any means on land in the United States or even a uh, land in general, as far as my real estate goes, um, the major thing that I've always encountered is that land is typically a business that is a cash where people have mm -hmm. to bring money. The bank isn't super interested in financing land alone. They want they want to give you like a land plus uh, loan where you're going to go and build too because the bank's like, well, I don't want to own dirt either. So mm -hmm. how do you guys overcome that financing challenge right now in your business? Yeah, that, that's a great question. This has been Difficult for myself, but for everyone I know in land. And, and so uh, a friend of mine, a business partner and friend of mine are working on solving this for ourselves right now by creating a, a joint venture land company that provides the capital along with the expertise to double check and close on your deal. Because we run into people all the time who have good lots under contract at a good mm -hmm. price. Mm -hmm. But it's not something that's very assignable because the end user is a retail buyer. I, I had someone reach yeah. out to me yesterday about this, and he's got a great deal, but a builder's not going to buy it. An investor's not going to buy it. So assignment's pretty much off the table because he needs to put in the MLS where the mom and pop who just want to go build their house there are looking. And so he needs somebody that can bring the money in, buy the lot, and a second set of eyes because he's newer. And so mm -hmm. we have uh, a new company we're starting that is solving that problem and bringing the capital and the expertise to close the deal. So how are you going about expanding that, that network of prospective investors? Like, are you reaching out to the other wholesalers? Cause essentially like wholesalers are probably a big part of that demographic is people are usually getting into real estate as a wholesaler, but finding like, Oh, there's a piece of empty dirt and, mm -hmm. and I want to close on it or I want to do something with it. But you know, again, with the financing, like the bank is usually not that super interested. So how are you away raising awareness of uh, what you guys are working on these days? You know, we haven't spent a ton of time on that because we have so many people reaching out to both of us already saying, hey, like the word got out now that now they're coming to you, right? Yeah, well, and it's just it's a small world, man. The longer I do this, it's crazy. Uh, and I know dozens and dozens of people across the country and land. I've done a bunch of podcasts. He and I have our own podcast we've been doing and actually got a decent listenership. I'll mention that later. Uh, and so we haven't spent a lot of time on that because more of the issue, or not the issue, more of the thing that needs worked on is just creating more and more funds to close these deals as opposed to 
finding leads for more deals because there's plenty of deals, plenty of people mm-hmm. need funding. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that kind of brings me to the next thing, and I'm glad you touched on and tell people a little bit more about how they can because land is kind of if I'm ranking the visibility of real estate strategies in in most markets, land is is something that typically off the radar people do. And you mentioned you have a podcast. Um, we had a, someone on the show a few weeks ago. Um, and that just shows like a few weeks ago. And now those are the only real people playing in land on that level. So uh, how are you educating people? How can they, how can they get to that podcast? Um, you know, fill us in. Yeah. The big picture blueprint. We talk everything, land, real estate and business in general. And if you look me up, my website, danhabercost.com or Instagram, Facebook, Dan Habercost, you'll see endless posts about it. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, time flies when you're having fun here. And what I would say is I always like to end, you know, guys that have done quite a bit and seems like you're on your way to do even more. What advice would you have to people just getting started? So the biggest thing that wasted time for me was oscillating around. I told you about my older buddy who I learned most of this from, but I sent some mailers to get him land deals. I sent some mailers to land or excuse me, to housing, some do apartments. I got distracted by other businesses and I wasted time. I, I could be much further ahead if I hadn't have done that. And so pick one lane, one business for generating a substantial income, for stale, scaling your income. If you can do a house hack as well in the interim. And then once you really figure out how to make money from that one business, then start buying real estate as opposed to, I think sometimes people mix up investing with an active business. I don't even, I probably said it accidentally, but this isn't land investing. I'm not investing. There's a couple Mm -hmm. I might build on and keep so we can call those investing investments. But most of this is just simple arbitrage to make money so that I can go invest in additional rental properties. Yeah, because it's active. I always say, and my mentor would always say, one stream of active, you know, and then that overflow ends up in wealth because people try to like make the income wealth and uh, they're not the same. So you gotta you gotta stay diversified. Yes. I really appreciate you coming on uh, the the call. And how often do you guys do your podcast? And um, yeah, how often? Uh, Once a week? Uh, every day? Every- What's the deal? Every Monday morning, you'll hear interviews and, and sometimes it's just Mason and I talking about what we're doing in our business today. But every Monday morning, uh, a lot of top players were actually getting on. It's been it's been fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, again, like I said, I appreciate the time. And uh, for those listening at home, we'll see you on the next episode.